I'm Buddy Martin, and this is the Best Fridays in Football podcast with Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. Time now for the show that we call Best Fridays in Football, the podcast for the coach Urban Meyer joins us every week, and now we're getting some serious stuff going because the SEC starts this weekend, Buckeyes down the road in a couple of weeks, and we've almost got football completely back, I guess as close as we can, Urban. It feels good, doesn't it? Well, it feels good. It feels even better for all those incredible athletes who have worked so hard to go do it. And I'm, I can't wait to see the SEC. This is uncharted waters for the SEC as far as schedule and um you know, the fact that you you don't have that preseason. So I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, we're, of course, going to see what happens to the Gators uh, on Saturday in Oxford. I'd like to get your thoughts on that game. But I want to go back first to a point that you made, since we now have a new audience somewhat with our friends at Evergreen. Thanks for the podcasting they're doing for us on the program. And talk about a statement that you made both here on this show a couple of weeks ago, and you made – on Big Noon uh, at Fox regarding the difficulty of the schedule and how you expect the champion of the SEC, arguably the best conference in all of college football, will have two losses. Do you still stand by that and explain to folks why? Well, it's not arguably the best. It is the best conference. You know, the NFL draft, the combine, uh, top to bottom, it is the best. That's not being a, you know, not – devaluing teams like Oklahoma, Ohio State, uh, Clemson, some of these incredible programs. But overall, top to bottom, it'd be hard to argue that. Uh, There's going to be residual damage to teams. And the number one is there's going to be a loss or two. I think it's going to be two because I think just week in, week out, when you start accumulating injuries and you never get that deep breath that uh, every team needs, uh, I saw LSU schedule at one point. They're playing four top 15 teams in a six-week uh, window. You know, I just can't. And there's other teams like Clemson, Ohio State, that are going to play one ranked team, maybe two. So I, I just I, I see it happening. Uh, I have a lot of respect, obviously, for the SEC because I was in that conference for quite a while. And the normal, the normal business of the SEC is protect their teams and get them to the national championship. That's why they've only played eight conference games. That's why they would schedule an FCS team late in the year to let them take that breath. You don't have that deep breath to get your team healthy again. It's hard to see who could beat Alabama twice, but I don't think people understand that residual damage you talk about. We discussed it a couple of weeks ago, and you talked about going to the training room and looking at who's available and who's not after a big game, and how you sometimes don't get your key players back till Thursday. Now line up that schedule with what you talked about, playing against the toughest in the toughest conference in college football, and after week four or five, and suddenly things are going to look different. How different might they look with that? And now we have the COVID issue. So those two big issues, if you want to talk, call it medicine or whatever you want to call it, are going to play a factor in all of college football, but especially where you're playing 10 games against SEC teams. Well, I was, I'm was i with Matt uh, Leinart, Brady Quinn, and, and um, 
Reggie Bush, and we were, had great conversations. So I had a routine every Sunday. I'd come in early and do the special teams, and the players would come in around 11 or noon, uh, depending if it was a night game or not. And they'd come to the, they'd have to report to the training room. And so I would get up, and I'd, I'd walk in there as soon as I got a text that say the players are starting to show up. And the whole intent was to say, okay, how many, you know, how's the health of our team? And, and not just for the next Saturday. I would say the majority of times when you have a great Tuesday and Wednesday practice, you're going to win that game. If you have a bad Tuesday and Wednesday practice, you're going to lose that game, especially when talent becomes equated. So I was a maniac about the Tuesday and Wednesday practices because I have a belief, and I believe it's true, that the team that prepares the hardest wins. And if you guys are hurt, you guys are banged up, you can't put shoulder pads on, you're not getting the actual looks you're going to see in that game. So once again, there, there's, there's the residual damage, we call it, to uh, this kind of schedule is, number one, you're going to lose. Number two is uh, you're going to have the health issues within your team. And who knows about COVID. Yes, I want to get to that show in just a minute and talk about some of the things that you did and said last week releasing the Big Ten schedule, which is quite interesting, some comments. But first, before we go there, let's talk about the SEC's opening weekend. I heard Greg Sankey said he won't be able to breathe a sigh of relief until all seven games are played on Saturday. And you can sense that about him because he took a big risk and he waited it out, and it turns out he influenced all of college football. And if you want to talk about a guy who's had probably uh, a good success and administratively as in college football, Greg Sankey is right at the top of that list right now. Yeah, Greg Sankey was the deputy to Mike Slive, and we became very good friends during my tenure at, at Florida. Uh, he's always been extremely professional. You know, he does what great leaders should do, and that's press pause when you're hit with an event. And, you know, it's E plus R equals O is the formula that we teach to our players. And that's when you hit with an event, press pause, get your mind right, and step up and do the right thing. Don't overreact. And he, of all the commissioners, I thought, handled himself with uh, great dignity, but also with great uh, approach. Uh, you know, never, never, ever putting the well-being of a student athlete in jeopardy. You know, he just wanted to learn. And I'm, I can promise you, I know Greg Sankey, we all do well enough that if he felt this was not in the best interest of the student-athlete. They're not playing. Turns out he might be a hero. Uh, he influenced all the college. So explain to us who don't understand it exactly, and we're not good at math or algebra or calculus. Again, E plus R equals O. Explain. Yeah, that's a simple formula for making right decisions. It's something that uh, Tim Kite, my leadership consultant, uh, uh, we had a great conversation. This was probably eight years ago. It became part of the DNA at Ohio State. It still is. Uh, a lot of our players, including myself and coaches, wear a wristband. It just reminds you that when you're hit with a big event, COVID, uh, injury, uh, you know, a behavior issue on a player, you lose a game, whatever it may be, a family issue, a social issue, whatever it may be, um, that's an event that you can't control. What you can't control is how you respond. And there's an above-the-line and below-the-line way of doing it. Above the line was with imper- with uh, intention and on purpose. Uh, below the line is impulsive behavior. And we all know what impulsive behavior happens. You know, what happens to people that uh, act upon impulse. Most of the time it's really, really bad results or sometimes catastrophic results. So it's, uh, once again, just uh, something that, you know, I, I really believe that's exactly what Greg Sankey did. He got hit with COVID. Uh, some people panicked. 
He did not. He pressed pause. The way to do it is press pause to gather information, get your mind right, to start thinking about the possible uh, responses you can have, then step up and do it. And that's where I have so much respect for Greg. I believe there was a book called Above the Line. Some guy named Urban Meyer wrote it. <clears throat> so let's talk for a second about um, about some of the things that you use uh, in your in your speeches and your talks. There's a couple of things that jump out, like E plus R equals O. Uh, there's also something uh, that you made a big point about about saying and now are writing and and have talked to people about this thing uh, regarding hope and opportunity, how important it is, not just in football, but in life. And when you take away something like football to kids who have done nothing but live it and breathe it and eat it all their lives, they could lose hope and opportunity. Explain, if you will, Irvin, hope and opportunity and how you saw it firsthand at Ohio State momentarily looked like the season was gone and now it's back and what a huge deal it is for the players. Yeah, just something I've thought of over the years that the ultimate job of a leader, of a parent, is to provide those you lead, including your children, with hope and opportunity because we as we as people, once you lose that hope and opportunity, you're going to go look for it somewhere. And I call that pseudo or fake hope and opportunity. And one of the greatest examples when I went to Utah, we had a bunch of Polynesian players that you know, their dream was to play in the NFL. Once that was taken from them, for whatever reason, injury or talent, they just weren't good enough, uh, they would join gangs and you know, get involved in stuff they shouldn't be involved in. And it wasn't because they were necessarily bad people. It's because they're going to search for hope and opportunity somewhere if you don't have it. And you think about a parent. You know, if you father a child or you're a mother of a child, your job is to provide that child with hope. And that will lead to opportunity. And it's a virtuous cycle. That's what I call it. It's, you know, hope uh, leads to opportunity. Opportunity leads to hope. And you as a parent don't give that to your child. You're failing that child. Same thing if you're a coach on a team. You have to provide hope. And what does that mean? Don't put all your eggs in an NFL basket because that's awful hard to make that. That's why we work so hard on real-life Wednesdays and internships, shadow opportunities. So society right now, I believe that's the issue that's in inner cities or northeastern Ohio where I'm from, where it's somewhat impoverished now because industry's left. A lot of hope and opportunities left, and where do people go? You know, they're not bad people. I refuse to, when I, when I hear people say that, well, they're bad people there. No, they're not. But in their inner cities, you start taking away people's hope and opportunity. It's combustible. Same thing in my hometown of Ashtabula, Ohio. All the industries left, and now it's crystal meth and opiates are the number one issue. And then once again, it's not because you're bad people. It's because all hope has been extinguished. And that's where leaders, I think government leaders, I think we failed in many areas, you know, Handouts are not good. Providing hope and opportunity is. And what is that to me? It's education and experience so they can go live their life. You're one of the coaches that really has been pro, pro, pro player. And you always said it's always about the players. And a lot of coaches say that, but you've lived it. And sometimes maybe coaches like you or Nick Saban and others have been accused of hanging on to a player just a little too long. A player has gotten some trouble. A player has done some things that would be almost unthinkable. Uh, and a lot of fans say, get them down the road. Kick them off the team. Forget about it. Sometimes you've hung on to guys because what? Hope and opportunity? Well, once again, I treat them like our children. 
And I, I told you one time I had administrators say, you need to make an example of that kid. And I almost came across the desk at the person because I said, so you would do that to my son or daughter. You know, these, these aren't, these aren't number 26 or 37 or 15 number Jersey numbers. These are people. And if you start taking away kids, hope and opportunity, I told you what's going to happen. Now, unfortunately, when it's horrific or really bad, the core value violations, yeah, you have to, you have to make some really awful decisions and remove people from teams. But I've never let that influence the way I, you know, I, the coaching athletics, not just football, but my daughter has played volleyball and that it's the most unique uh, form of recruiting and you hire, not necessarily hire them, but when they become part of your team, you actually go in their home when they're 17 years old, hug the family and say, I'm going to take care of that kid. And the parent is expecting you to take care of that kid at all costs. And that's what we try to do. And I, I can promise you Nick Saban, I know Nick Saban really well. He, he's certainly not letting a person, a journalist, uh, determine what he's going to do. or certainly not the fans because they don't know the, what's behind door number two and door number three. Now, they, there's a lot of narrative. You know, I've been exposed to a bunch of narrative that is just completely not true. But once again, that you don't live your life on narrative. If you do, you're going to fail as a leader. And more importantly, you're going to fail the people that trust you. That's your players. Speaking of family, I noticed on Big Noon uh, last week, Brady Quinn had a special guest on his telephone, and you walked over, and it was your son, uh, Nate, who's playing for the Bearcats, and you had a conversation there, and uh, it looked like he's enjoying himself. And uh, I was a little bit disturbed he said he'd better play for Luke Fickle than you, though. I mean, uh, <laughs> you said good choice. But, uh, yeah, so tell us how Nate's doing at Cincinnati. Yeah, Nate made a decision to give up his baseball scholarship, and uh, he was a good, very good high school player, and he wants to be a college football coach. He just missed the whole part of being part of a football team. So he is. He's, uh, they're a very good team. You know, he's trying to work his way back. Hasn't played college or hasn't played football in two years, and so he's. You know, it takes a minute to get back. But he's more importantly, he's. Uh, you know, they're playing Army this week, and he's running a lot of scout team and getting the defense ready for Army. So. He just sent me a long text this morning how he got called out in front of the team yesterday for doing such a good job. So, awesome nice. kid, 4.0 kid. That uh, uh, he, He's a great one. Well, as they say, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree, and I'm sure he'll do well. Uh, one more real quick note on stuff in Ohio, because we like to talk about the Buckeyes, and we're going to get to the Gators and the SEC schedule, is uh, you announced the schedule on the, the air a big noon and uh, a little surprised at some of the things, but uh, how do you feel about that Michigan Ohio State being game being played at the Horseshoe in December on December twelfth? That's certainly different. Does that concern you? Oh, it certainly does. You know, weather gets awful around that time, and you know, usually it's a couple of weeks before that. But you know, I, I think that that game will be played. It, it doesn't matter, and the intensity is going to be off the chain and, and, you know, it's going to be unusual not having the facts or uh, the fans there. I'm glad it's played at the end. You know, the, the earlier schedule had them playing like in the middle of the season, you know, that game deserves, you know, a lot like the Florida state game or uh, against the Gators that game. I know they're not playing this year, but that game has to be at the end of the season. Agreed. <clears throat> and so uh, quick thoughts on the big 10 the Buckeyes and uh, who else do you like in the big 10? Well, so to me, it's all about schedule. And Ohio State drew an incredible schedule. I mean, they're they have two speed bumps. They have Penn State and the team up north, and that's you know those that might be the only ranked teams they face. They they miss the top teams on the other side of the conference, and that's Iowa, 
Minnesota, Wisconsin. And then you look at some of the other teams, they are playing them. Um, Nebraska was the one that I can't believe their schedule. The three of the first four games are against top 15 opponents. You know, I, I don't, you know, against Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Penn State. So, once again, this this year, this will be the year that will go down in history about arguably the most uh, in, unequal schedules uh, that I have ever witnessed. You know, the SEC playing 10 conference games against, you know, usually five ranked opponents, and then you see some of these other teams playing a much easier schedule, and then maybe less games. So the college football playoff committee's really got their hands full. Okay. Before I talk about the Gators, Mick Hubert has a message for you. <clears throat> he <laughs> says uh, he wants to tell you, number one, he owes you one. He was blown away with the fact that you sent him a uh, – you tweeted out when he got to the Hall of Fame, and he really appreciated that. It was told to him by somebody else. So Mick Hubert said, tell you that. He also said, I asked you about interviewing coaches at Florida, and I said, have you ever had an experience where a coach gave you all the short answers? And he brought up you one day. <laughs> he said, I asked 20 questions, and Urban's answers were all of five seconds each. Total, I might have had five minutes. So, so he says, I didn't know he was going to be as good as he is on TV. <laughs> so those are the different persona in the two. When you're a coach, you got your coach hat on. Uh, Bill Belichick school is, of course, don't say anything if you can help it. Talk about that for a second when, you know, when you, what you can and can't, and can't say as a coach and then how free it is for you now to be able to express your th- sentiments and thoughts as a broadcaster. Yeah. First of all, Mick Hubert's elite. He's uh, oh my and uh, Dallas Baker, the touchdown maker. And, you know, I used to love, cause I'd listen to those highlights, you know, and during recruiting visits and I miss Mick and we do, I used to do our radio show together. A wonderful guy and a, obviously a hall of famer, uh, but you know, I, I really didn't give much, you know, a lot of people work on press conferences and, and have people that really try to help them. And, you know, maybe I should have, but I, I hate to say it like this, but I didn't really care. I cared about, you know, I never tried to throw a player under the bus or a coach, uh, extremely respectful of the opponents. I would always start the press conferences thanking people for coming because I go back to my first one I ever had a Bowling Green. There's like three people there. And so I, you know, I just had gotten the habit of thanking for coming. I would always thank the fans and thank the Gator Nation or Buckeye Nation for supporting us. And they go about and give information. And uh, I tried to be as honest as I could without, you know, giving too much information because, once again, I've always looked. I don't work for the university. I don't work for an AD. I work for our players and their families. And so I'm going to do all I can to protect our players and families. Dan Mullen. He says he doesn't know what to expect in his season because he said, I have two national championships. You know, we didn't go undefeated. He says, on the other hand, he could go undefeated. He thinks his team is good enough this year. Dan Mullen seems to me to be set up right now for continuing the legacy which he's inherited Florida football. I mean, think about this. Nobody ever won more games their first two years as head coach of Florida except you. And Dan's won 21, and now he's set up with a year where if he can beat Georgia, he should have a ticket to Atlanta. And by the way, the SEC media poll just came out yesterday, and it picks Florida to win the East, Alabama to win the West. So they think that's what's going to happen. You're already on record as picking him. Take me through what Dan faces as a challenge to sustain this situation now that he's got it back up and running. And, And what a tremendous opportunity it is for 
him and for Gator fans to watch this program be back on top. Yeah, well, we do television. I always challenge our guys, you know, the college football Fox people, and I don't want to just go with gut feeling. Yeah, do I love the Gators? And Dan Mullen, I think, is one of the best coaches out there and great respect for him, sure. But you can't make a decision or or, uh, expectation um, on that. I had three criteria. Number one, were the culture within the organization. Number two, was it a returning system, especially offensively? And number three, do they have their quarterback back? And Florida checks all three boxes. Georgia does not. Tennessee does not. Uh, So I I picked them to win the East. They have to stay healthy. They got a brutal schedule. But I'm picking them to win the East, and I picked Alabama uh, to win the other side, the West. And and I I really believe if Florida stays healthy, they got a great shot. But there's so many landmines throughout the course of a season. You know, I used to, you know, I'd always check it when I was a coach where we picked. And, you know, most of the time we were picked first. And if we weren't picked for other than my Bowling Green year, my first year we were picked 120th in the NCAA, and I use that for motivation. But it, it really doesn't matter. And I think Dan Mullen's got a, a good team. He's got to keep them healthy, and he's got to, you know, you got some obstacles. COVID's one, health of players is two, and then uh, schedule's three. If he can get to that halfway mark uh, with uh, undefeated or even losing one, he's got it set up the second half, so he's got a chance to beat Georgia maybe, and we'll see what happens to that schedule. Um, and, of course, as you pointed out, it is a brutal schedule for all the SEC teams, but some of it, Urban, is last man standing. You know, with the, with the schedule, you play like that, and you got to be able to get players on the field. And, boy, I, I'll be interested to see how it works out when Florida goes to Tennessee to play the last game of the season and how who's banged up and who's not, because that, of course, is what makes it go. Uh, okay, uh, let me uh, let me ask you about your visit with Tim Tebow. I saw the picture of you in your house. Beautiful den there, by the way. Is that your man cave? I'm not sure where it was. Uh, well, yeah, you were you were sitting with Tim, and I don't think it was Tim's house. He came to your house, right? No, it's, uh, he's here in yeah, he's here in Columbus. We had a big fundraiser last night. Yes, and talk about that because that's the important stuff. And Tim and you continued to work again. Certainly, human trafficking is a huge story and. Uh, Kudos for for Tim for getting involved in that and, and for you for helping him. Tell us about that, what that's about, and, and, and what it's been like visiting with Tim Tebow. Yeah, I'm on Tim's foundation board ever since he started it, and I'd be on the, you know, every other month we have a phone call. And when I was coaching, I was really not very engaged. Uh, I'd become more engaged in uh, faith, hope, and love to those who need it uh, in their darkest hour. That's the mantra of his foundation. And um, special needs kids were the fo- are the focus. But then I was on the conference call probably a month and a half ago, and I had it muted, and I'm just listening, and all of a sudden they started talking about human trafficking, and I had no idea what they are talking I pressed unmute. I said, what are we talking about here? Is this what I think? Because I never knew. I, I thought this was in the movies. And I really didn't believe that happened in America. You know, I thought that maybe somewhere overseas or – and then it's staggering. It's the most horrific crime of humanity that you can imagine. To me, this is, it's not it's not a DUI or someone stealing or it's it's stealing you know it's it's stealing people's lives is what you're doing and so Shelly and I have jumped all in we had a huge fundraiser last night uh, this is something that uh, is going to be our focus and uh, my contribution to the Tebow Foundation uh, um, so that that's what we're doing and it, it, Tim's great we played golf a couple of days he's doing wonderful he's uh, obviously he's changed my life and we are as close as ever and 
we're going to do some things together for the next few years. Sounds great, Urban. I just want to say thank you to some people who have helped make this show possible. I'm excited that this is our new podcast uh, with Evergreen, which, by the way, is in Cleveland, Ohio. You didn't know that, did you? <clears throat> Evergreen. I did not. Yeah, yeah, it's Evergreen. And, and the, the people who own the, the Cleveland Indians, uh, it's their company. So how about that? Oh, you're an Indians fan. So we're glad to be doing this every week, and we're going to have some fun. Coach Meyer and I talk about what we want to do. We want to celebrate football. We want to tell some stories, and maybe we laugh a little bit. That'll be fun, too, and uh, try to bring insight. And I love what you bring to the program, and I've had several people tell me they enjoyed uh, your work on uh, Big Noon because you do get into subjects and you say it articulately, and you've done really, really well. What took you so long to get into TV, man? Think about all those great days you could have had on TV and not taking that proud beating as a coach. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy it. Thanks, buddy. I, I, uh, I think part of it's enjoying what you're doing and who you do it with. And uh, Fox, I love them. And, you know, I have great respect, admiration for you. And that's why we do it, really, is because I really, I think you have great uh, insight into this wonderful game. But more importantly, you're a great person. Well, thank you. And I'm just going to say right now, I'm going to thank these people the Gator Bait Lighthouse Builders. The motto is Truth, Honor, and Dignity. Dr. Jim Duke, Sissy Long, Lauren Meadows, who's in Ohio, by the way, Jeffrey Meldon of Gainesville, Max Steen, former Gator captain, you know him, Jeff Ulmer, who's now at Stetson University, and the Ocala Quarterback Club, which sponsors the Scott Bradley Trophy, Mike McGinnis, captain, and Renstar Medical Research, Joe Sorrentino's group. Well, we thank them, Urban, and we thank you, and have a good week, and uh, look forward to the show on Saturday. It's my favorite football show now, not just because you're on it. I think it's terrific. I look forward to it. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to Best Fridays in Football, and thanks to Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. On behalf of director Brendan Martin, producer Andy Billman, and the good folks at Evergreen, I'm Buddy Martin, and these are the Best Fridays in Football. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Press Box Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access.